This episode contains graphic descriptions of crime scenes, which may be disturbing to some listeners. Today, we're bringing you the story of a devoted single father who's found brutally murdered inside his locked apartment. Who killed Stephen Spina? This is APB Cold Case. Here's your host, former police chief Mark Spahn. Our story begins on Monday, September 17, 2007, on a tree-lined street in the village of Mamaroneck, a residential community located on Long Island Sound, about a 40-minute train ride from Manhattan. That morning, 36-year-old Stephen Spina wakes up in his apartment on Rich Bell Road with his girlfriend Tamara, who had stayed the night. Stephen is Mondays off, but it's a workday for Tamara, so she gets up, gets dressed, and leaves the apartment around 8 a.m., And even though Stephen woke up feeling a little under the weather, they decide to meet for lunch. As the morning progresses, Tamara calls Stephen to confirm their lunch plans. But Stephen doesn't pick up. She calls again and again. Still, no answer. She's starting to get concerned. He wasn't feeling well that morning, so Tamara drives to Stephen's place. It's now 12 to 12.15 p.m. To give you some perspective on Stephen's apartment complex, it's a two-story apartment building with multiple units. There's a main common entrance door in front that was most likely designed as a security measure. It requires a key in order to gain access to the units inside. So Tamara arrives at the apartment. She's able to get in the common door, which is ajar. But when she knocks at Stephen's door, there's no answer. Now she's really worried. So she goes to find the building super. He has a master key, and they return to Stephen's unit on the second floor. The super knocks loudly, turning the key and calling Stephen's name. As the door swings open, they get the shock of their lives when they see Stephen laying on the floor, motionless, in a pool of blood. Tamara rushes over to him and starts attempting CPR, but the super realizes it's too late. He pulls her back away from Stephen's body and out of the apartment and calls police. When police arrive, they immediately clear the apartment, checking all the rooms to make sure no one else is inside. They confirm that Stephen is deceased. It's clear that they're dealing with a homicide. Detective Dave Castarella of the Mamaroneck PD, now retired, was on the scene that day in 2007. He describes the layout of Stephen Spina's apartment. No, he was at the top floor to the left. But if you're looking from Rich Bell Road itself, like as you're looking at the front door, it would be to the left. His apartment would be the top floor to the left. Two bedroom, one bathroom. So you come in the door, to the left is the kitchen. You're in the entrance area. Straight ahead is the living room. Pretty large size living room. If you go to the right when you come in, straight ahead was the bathroom and then left would be his bedroom. There's no visible damage to Stephen's front door, and as Detective Castarella explained, as you step inside the door to the apartment, it leads directly to the living room. Spina's body is found in that living room, on the floor, near the couch. The Westchester County Forensic Team arrives on scene, which would have been standard procedure for a homicide in that jurisdiction. One of the first things they do is to take photographs of the footwear worn by both Tamara and the super since they'd been in contact with the crime scene. As the forensic team starts processing the scene, detectives speak with Tamara. Here's Detective Castarella. We talked to Tamara. We did interviews with her. Try to get anything we can get. Police were trying to piece together the last hours of Stephen's life. 
Tamara and the building super were both cooperative. Tamara was obviously devastated as she described that morning with Stephen, leaving for work, not being able to reach him, and finding him on the floor. Detectives canvassed Stephen's complex, knocking on every door. We do have a witness who saw him leave the apartment at, at a certain point that morning with what she claims he was wearing is consistent to what he had on at the time of the, of the homicide. I'm going to say around 9.30ish, she heard him come down the stairs and saw him walk out. So her window would be the, to the left of the entrance of the door. So she heard the door go open outside and saw him walk by, which he walked towards the parking lot where he would park his car. She does not recall him going back in or anything, so she wasn't sure. She wasn't really watching for him. Why did Stephen leave his apartment that morning? What he did when he left, we, we still haven't really been able to figure out what his, what his reasoning for leaving was. Was it to meet a person? Did he have a, a conversation? Did he have a fight with somebody else in the parking lot? Did something occur? Did he go back to the apartment? And these are theories. They're not. There's nothing that backs it up. Did he go back to the apartment and somebody followed him back up who he knew? and wasn't expecting to happen what happened, obviously, and just knocked on the door and he opened it because he knows who was that person that was going to come to the door that he just had a discussion with. So from the neighbor's account, we know that Stephen stepped out of his building to do something at around 9.30 a.m. The neighbor sees him walking away from the apartment complex, but doesn't see him return. But obviously we know that he does return at some point before noon. Police also canvass the surrounding neighborhood. I hit the, all the buildings next door. We had some, I saw a van there with a person, different type of people in it, but nothing really solid. We did that initially, the, the general interviews of, of the buildings, really the two, three buildings next to each other to see if any of the families, any of the, the residents who may have been home at the time. Uh, numerous times I did those buildings and nothing of real value. No cameras in the area, zero cameras in the area. When news of the murder spread, people in the neighborhood couldn't believe it. But it wasn't just the community that was shocked by Stephen's murder. The police department was as well. You see, Spina was active in local sports like baseball and softball. He was an umpire and regularly played with some of the officers on the Mamaroneck Police Department, including Detective Castorella. So when Castorella starts to do a deep dive into Stephen's life, he was already a step ahead because he knows him. In fact, they were friends. Here's Detective Dave Castorella. I, I know Stephen very well. Stephen's a friend of mine, a very, very good friend. I mean, we played ball together. He, him and my sister are good friends. They, they went to high school together. And as it turns out, Stephen had recently been, let's just say he'd been dealing with a few issues in his life, and he had on more than one occasion approached Detective Castorella for some advice. So, Stephen worked for the post office in the nearby town of Larchmont. He told Castorella that he was having an issue with a village worker in Mamaroneck who happened to be a mutual acquaintance of both of them. Here's Detective Castorella. This is where it gets a little convoluted and a little tougher to, to kind of figure everything out. So, Stephen came to my house sometime in August, maybe September. His car was vandalized. He had some tires slashed. He believed that it was a joint friend of ours who we're all friendly with, who had come to his house and wanted to fight him because he had thought that Stephen was making advances on his girlfriend. 
So he came seeking advice from me as, as a police officer, as a detective, like, what should I do? What do you think? I sent him to the, the town of Amaranik to make the reports. Unbeknownst to me, though, <laughs> there were also things being done to his girlfriend's car that kind of Stephen left out to me. That was happening in the village of Amaranik, which I did not find that out until after we were into the case and, and were speaking with Tamara. And then she told us about her vehicles. Following Castorella's advice, Stephen made a police report for the slashed tires. But in the report, he said he had no idea who could have vandalized his car. So it appears he wasn't giving anyone the full story. Now, by all accounts, Stephen was a great guy. He was a devoted single father to his daughter, Skylar. He was a good brother and son. He was handsome, charismatic. He had a wide circle of friends. And Stephen also had a thing for the ladies. But Stephen liked to keep his private life private. Again, here's Detective Castorella. Stephen had definitely had a promiscuous past. He didn't want other people to know his secrets, so to speak. He was not a bad guy in any way, shape, or form. He was a good person. He just liked his women. If Skylar was around, his daughter was around, there was never any women around. And I think that kind of becomes an issue for women, too. I asked Detective Castorella if the Mamaroneck village worker that Stephen was having issues with had any connection to Tamara. Could he have been the one who damaged Tamara's car? It was like Tamara and this this other person really weren't connected. The, the friend, the joint friend weren't connected. It just served no purpose to go after her car and she had moved her car a couple of times. So you really had to look for her car. The, the person who was doing that damage had to know where she was putting her car, know what car she was driving. And I believe her car was damaged on two separate occasions at two separate locations and decent amount of damage. So you had Steven's car damaged at one point and you had Tamara, the girlfriend at the time, her car damaged at, two, at points and there was some other things done to her car, letters and things being placed on her car at different locations where she worked or where she was. So now that you have that also as a second incident. I was curious about those notes left on Tamara's car. I asked Detective Castorella if those notes might be characterized as coming from a jilted or jealous girlfriend. Yeah, I would, I would probably say that's a very good assumption. Again, those cases weren't ours. They all went to the, the town of Amarna cases. Um, I don't even know how many she actually reported directly to the town of Amaranek at the time, but I know at least a couple were. It could have even been some in Larchmont, because I think some happened in Larchmont train station. It was something that escalated through the times, and we found out as we moved on with the case. I asked Detective Castorella if he thought the notes were from a female associated with Stephen or from a male on behalf of a female. That's the question I know. It's, I think the thrust of... The notes and the vandalism came from the female. That's my opinion. As far as Stephen's car is concerned, my only thought on that was, are they two separate incidents? Was it the friend who did that, who was angry at him to get him back? Although they happen so close in proximity to each other, do they really not have, besides getting back at Stephen, do they not have anything to do with, meaning jointly with the homicide part? There is a part of me who says, it's very funny because you're one of the few people who have ever said that to my theory is that my theory on the homicide is that there was somebody else involved. I can't prove that. There's no evidence that says that, but I truly have a feeling that from the evidence that somebody, there was a second person, a female party was involved and a a male party was, was there to assist in this 
to take over. I have nothing to prove on that more than David's feeling and David's theory. There's so many theories I have, you know, that's one of them. That's a possibility, the way the evidence and things show in this crime scene. When the autopsy report comes back, police learn that the cause of death is multiple stab wounds. The investigation continues. Police are also interested in at least one woman we'll call Trudy, who Stephen had a relationship with in the past. Police describe Trudy as a girlfriend, and this may account for the vandalism we mentioned earlier. Was she a scorned ex-girlfriend, jealous of Stephen's other relationship? Police told us about an incident in which this Trudy came to Stephen's apartment, claiming that she was pregnant with his child. Tamara reportedly walked in on that conversation. And, as Detective Castarella told us, Tamara had damage done to her car as well. Tires slashed, windows broken, acid poured on it, and notes that were left behind, essentially demanding that she stop seeing Stephen. When you're talking about a possible motive for Stephen's murder, there's a lot for investigators to unpack. And once they dig in, perceptions start to change. Here's Detective Castarella. He came to me for advice, but yet left out a big portion of what was going on with the whole case. You're telling me, okay, yeah, my tires are slashed, but you never tell me your girlfriend's car has been damaged once already. Um, and that she's getting these notes left on her car. So the perception for me when I got in this case, when I gave the information to my detective, Sergeant Holland, I said to him, hey, listen, this is the guy who Stephen came to me with maybe like two weeks earlier. You know, that's your first main suspect in the incident because Stephen came to me and brought him up as, as a main suspect. But I think you saw as time went on, as the investigation proceeded, that there were other, other avenues and other people who have just as much of a reason or, or a purpose to possibly do this as that person did, if not more than that person. Stephen's girlfriend, Tamara, worked with investigators, helping them with information and background. And after a few months, the detective's next strategy was to request a polygraph examination for her. But then she got a lawyer and did not take the polygraph. Police say that's when communication with Tamara changed. Tamara was wonderful. She was totally, totally helpful the whole, probably close to three months. We really wanted her to take a lie detector test to really kind of help us rule her out more than rule her in. And that's, that is the truth. And she got an attorney and that was the end of that. I wish she would have, cause I think she would have passed. And I think it, it would have made a lot of, you know, just kind of help us put that one to the side and she would have continued to, to assist us. It's not the way it worked. Obviously no attorney is going to let them do that. So. Police also bring in Trudy, the girl who had previously claimed to be pregnant with Stephen's child. And while she was initially cooperative, police say that she also got an attorney and stopped talking with them nine days after the murder. So who else are they talking to? Well, detectives have not forgotten about the alleged dispute involving the village worker who was upset with Stephen about having a relationship with his girlfriend. They described that incident taking place about a month or two before Stephen's found murdered. Police checked the village workers' clothing, footwear, and vehicle for blood, hairs, and fibers, just as they did with Trudy. But no blood transfer was found, and no evidence indicating any wounds suffered from an aggressive assault. And as police probed deeper, the village worker also got an attorney. So several potential witnesses to Stephen's life are lawyering up, but the investigation continues. Let's go back to Stephen's apartment and the morning of the murder. 
there's one big question that still remains for Detective Castorella. Why did he leave? Did somebody text him? Did somebody call him? There were no phone calls directly on his phone. So there was nothing that was that we saw directly. What do you go outside for? We all think now when we talk today, you think like, okay, well, it had to be a text message. It's so simple. But back then, it really wasn't that simple in 2007. Texting really wasn't. It was he had a flip phone. So, you know, it wasn't you got to hit the button three times to get a letter, you know, or whatever. It wasn't the same as it is now. And what about that main access door to the building? It's key protected, but what we kind of come to is that probably wasn't working properly and hadn't worked properly through years. It wouldn't close all the way or the lock wouldn't really hold 100% where if you pushed it and uh, people knew that. It did lock on certain occasions and it wouldn't lock on others. If you remember, when Tamara went to the apartment that morning to check on Stephen, she had no problem getting in that main front entrance. So access to that door wasn't a problem for the killer either. What else is the crime scene telling police about the murder? We believe it happened. I mean, from the evidence, it definitely happened right at the door. It doesn't look like there was any other scuffling in in the apartment at all. To where his body was found, to where the evidence kind of shows is he, he kind of got surprised as he opened the door. Police describe it as a very bloody scene. Stephen was stabbed several times, but the only blood profile they find is Stephen's. He did have some defensive wounds on his arm and thigh, leading police to theorize he was ambushed at the door as he's trying to protect himself. But those wounds did not kill him. It was the stab wounds to his chest and back that proved fatal. There was no murder weapon found at the scene, but one thing that police do have is a bloody footprint, possibly a boot print. They know that it's not Tamara's or the building supers, and it doesn't belong to any of the responding officers or EMS. Police are not releasing any other information about that print. I spoke with Lieutenant P.J. Trujillo of the Village of Mamaroneck PD, who's currently in charge of the case. I asked if their suspect is male or female. They think it's a male. Lieutenant Trujillo told me that Stephen Spina was about 5 foot 10, 130 pounds. But because of the violence of the crime scene and the number of stab wounds, which police are not disclosing, they feel it was someone who overpowered him. You know, we assume that Stephen opens a door to someone that he knows, right? Because the door was locked when Tamara gets there with the super. It's safe to say that the door was opened by by the victim, Stephen, to someone that he knew. As he opens the door, we assume that the assailant now comes in, ambushes Stephen. Um, Stephen has some injuries to the left side of his body, so you're assuming the attacker is right-handed. It looks like Stephen, in a way, protects himself and kind of put, puts his arm up and his leg up, then falls to the ground, and the left side of his body is exposed, and that's where some of the wounds were. It's obvious that Stephen was fighting for his life. And Dave Castrella thinks there could be more than one person involved. I think it's a little combination of both. I don't know what they'll come up with physically on it that will solve it. Hopefully they get something out of that. But as we said earlier, I think more than one person knows. I don't think it's a, I don't think it was done by a single person, just my theory. So I'm hoping that eventually somebody gets in trouble somewhere along the line and decides, okay, well, I got this to give away to get me out. You hate to say that, but I think that's the that's going to be our our ace in the hole is that you have people talking about it that more than one person. The arms of this case went so far, so deep with different people who Stephen had relationships with that it makes it very difficult to 
to narrow it down. Detective Castorella is retired now, but he'll forever be connected to this case. He wants justice for his friend and for Stephen's family. And all these years later, he still checks in with Stephen's daughter, Skylar, from time to time. Skylar and I known each other for a very, very long time, but our first time we really got to see each other. Obviously, this made it a little more difficult. Being part of the case, I think, was it was tough for her. But we saw each other maybe eight months ago. We, we all met at the police station. You know, we had a meeting together, went over some stuff. Now that she's more of an adult and could talk about more of the what actually went on than just her hearing the child version of it. So it was really nice to see her. It was, uh, I think it kind of helped. It helped me more, I think, than helped her, but uh, it was nice to see. I mean, I've known, like I said, Steve and I played ball together when he had Skyler. You know, she'd come down to our, our ball games. He played on my on my team. I sponsored, I had sponsored a, a softball team with my with a company I owned at the time, and uh, Steve played, and Skyler would come down as, a, as an infant with her mom. And Yes, I've known them quite a long time. We also spoke with Stephen's daughter, Skylar, about the detectives who worked her dad's case. Rich Carroll and Dave Castarella. Castarella was one of his best friends. Within this year, and I spoke with Dave, and they were the, the two detectives who were there and found his body. By all accounts, Stephen was an involved father, and he remained on good terms with Skylar's mom. Skylar would spend a couple nights a week with Stephen in her own room at his apartment. And he was very strict about not having any girlfriends or guests over when Skylar was there. And when Skylar was at her mom's, he'd always check in on both of them to make sure they were okay. They were great friends. My mom describes him as one of her best friends. Skylar said that her mom was always open with her about what happened to her dad. My mom never hid anything from me. So she's, she's a very open and honest person with me since I was very little. Her way of explaining it at first was, she said, daddy's hurt, somebody hurt daddy. And I thought he was at work, so I was like, oh my God, we have to go see him at the hospital. And she said, no, honey, like, he didn't make it, somebody hurt him at home. And then after that, like, she's like, he has passed away. And then later on, maybe like a few hours later the next day, she told me how, because she already knew it was going to come out in the paper, so... It wasn't gonna be a hidden secret of how he passed away. So she had to make she made sure that I found out from her. She wanted to make sure she gave me every detail she had possible. Skylar was only eleven when her dad was taken from her, but she knew her dad's habits and routines well. We asked if she had a sense of whether her dad knew who was at the door that morning. He had to, or at least expecting somebody. His door is always locked, so he had to have opened the door for them. So and he's not gonna just open if he didn't know who was coming. So he must have. I personally don't have anyone in mind. My dad was a great guy, so I don't know who would want to harm him in any way. I spent the last 16 years wrapping my brain around that and I don't come up with any answers. Skylar herself is a mom today. She knows firsthand the special bond that exists between a parent and a child and the memories she has of spending time with her dad have not faded. We used to go to Yankee games all the time. He had season tickets and always took me and my grandma and his brother sometimes came with us and his girlfriend at the time. 
He taught me how to drive stick when I was little, and I don't remember. I wish I do, but I don't. He did teach me how to do all of that. So my dad took me to Philadelphia, we went to Maryland, and we went to like all these like historic places where like they signed the Declaration of Independence. We saw the Liberty Bell, went to Ben Franklin's house, or helped me with homework. <laughs> yeah, he was a great dad. I just hope someone comes comes forward, really. The cops are doing everything they possibly can with all the evidence and information they do have. So, I mean, like, any information anyone can give, even if there's the slightest of details, really would help. Even if it's, like, they saw a random person walking past his door, like, anything really, really does help them. This is an active, open investigation from Ameritech Police. They're hoping that someone will have information that can help them solve this case. There's a reward of up to $30,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for the murder of Steven Spina. If you have any information that can help Mamaroneck Police, call detectives at 914-825-8760. Thanks for listening to APB Cold Case. Tell us about your cold case at apbcoldcase at spawngroup.com. APB Cold Case is an original Spawn Group production.